Coast, everybody. I'm your host, Ethan Diver. Along with me, as always, is Kevin Heck. Say how's it going, Kevin? How's it, how's it going, everybody? And working the ones and twos is our producer, is Colt Petty, the pettiest of them all. And today we have a special guest, Joel. Uh, Joel, uh, say hi to the people. Hi, everyone. Um, so we'll we'll get to our three icebreakers like we did uh, with our last episode. So Joel, uh, you are the subject at hand. So uh, these are all going to be for you. Uh, first icebreaker question: uh, If you were a bird and could fly anywhere in the world, what type of bird would you be? Where would you fly? Oh, geez. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Interesting question. Not quite what I was expecting, Ethan, but we'll, we'll, go, we'll go with it. Um, yeah, I'd probably fly to the top of a mountain somewhere because I'll probably never get there myself without being a bird, I guess. But whatever birds can fly to the top of Mount Everest and survive, that'd be pretty cool, I guess. So that'd be a pretty well, neat I, place to go check out, have a bird's eye view. It sure would. Sure would. Well, I'm pretty sure anybody that's on Everest has a bird's eye view. Yeah. <laughs> like Everest, like 28, <laughs> it's like 28,000 feet. Like, like, you know what I mean? I know yeah. during World War II, you know, those cargo planes that would have to, to jump over the, the, uh, that mountain range in Nepal, you know, they had a hard time doing it. You know, they, they normally didn't fly that high, so you know. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, it's it's pretty on up there. So. Yeah, um, well, that, that's what I do. Say. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so out of all the crops you check, what is your favorite crop that you do check? Most enjoyable. To yeah. Um, for me, you know. <laughs> Previously, I would have said um, soybeans, cotton. I'm really starting to enjoy cotton, I think. Cotton's probably my pick. Um, Different challenges, different things to think about. Um, Never grows over your head, which is kind of (laughs) nice. But, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I think I think it brings different, yeah, di- different skill set, and I'm I'm enjoying I'm enjoying the cotton thing a lot. So, see, you know, as someone who checks a lot of cotton, I, I appreciate that. I like to see people enjoy cotton. Not yeah. only are whoa, you enjoying whoa, whoa, whoa. cotton, <laughs> not only are you enjoying cotton, you get to enjoy the misery of cotton. It yeah, is, yeah, it's yeah. quite stressful. <laughs> yeah, I, I probably won't be saying that in a few weeks' time, but for now, for now, yeah, it's 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 freshens up the brain, gives you something different to, to think about, and like I said, your head's not inside a cornfield all day, so that's kind of nice. So <laughs> I always tell people that cotton is the most stress you ever knew you wanted. You know, like it's <laughs> it's, uh, it's it's much stressful from a consulting, or much more stressful than from consulting uh just there's so much more that that goes into it but yeah yeah which is what makes it good but exactly like you just you're the problem solving and the you know like you're just you just feel wired you know like you're always thinking like there's so many little things that that build up to making that crop that it it, it really is uh enjoyable 
for sure. Yeah. So. And, I, and uh, I think in Kevin, our area where it's so new and we really have, we're, we're having to start from scratch, I think that's, that adds some excitement because we really don't know how to do it that well here, I would say, and, and we've got to learn and improve. So that's, that's exciting. So. Hey, Joel, while, oh, yeah. while, we're, um, while we're talking about that, why don't you tell everybody like uh, maybe where you're from, and all that sorts of jet, give a short introduction about yourself. Sure. Um, I'm from Australia, as I'm sure everyone can tell by my accent. Um, I've been in the US since the summer of 2013. Um, and I grew up in Queensland, the state of Queensland, which is northeastern Australia, I guess, but states are substantially larger than American states. So um, even though I spent most of my life in Queensland, it's two and a half times the size of Texas. So I haven't been around a bit in Queensland. Um, and yeah, I worked as I had to get that little jab in. I, I did, yeah. I can't resist. <laughs> um, and I, yeah, spent, was an agronomist in Australia, um, have, have worked with sweet corn quite a bit, some vegetables um sugarcane also broadacre crops um so fairly there's a lot of similarities but there's also a lot of differences so and now you're currently working in southwest kansas right yes in ulysses yeah cool and and the climates how close are they from where you came from to uh where you're currently at yeah very different uh, prior prior to moving here, um, this wasn't where I grew up, but like I said, it's a very big state. Um, we were in the tropics, well and truly into the tropics. So we had we had a wet season and a dry season, and it was hot and not so hot pretty well. Um, where I grew up was somewhat more similar to here, but um, no cold, not what we would consider cold. You know, it might freeze. A couple of times a year um but but yeah S similar rainfall somewhat maybe a, maybe a little bit less here um mm -hmm. but but temperature wise summer some attempts are probably fairly similar um but the winter is where it's going to be really different so right right no snow so no snow. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> that yeah. that stuff is not, uh, not, there's no point. Why do you need snow? <laughs> I kinda, I, I've got to say, I like it. I think, I think there's hardly an Australia that doesn't wish they had snow. You know, you just grow it up without it, watching all the movies, thinking it was just this cool stuff. And yeah, but it has its drawbacks. So. It definitely does. It definitely does. Um, so, Kevin, why don't you – I know you kind of spearheaded this with, with Joel. So, why don't you go ahead and, and introduce the topic at hand and what we're going to have Joel discuss and, and really the meat of this episode. Yeah. So, um, given Joel's unique background uh, from Australia, we thought we'd have him come on and talk um, a little bit about – weed challenges in Australia. They do some interesting things to uh, combat weed resistance and um, on the herbicide things, on, on some other stuff. And we thought we would have him um, 
speak about his experience in that nature. So um, with that, Joel, we'll just have you get started. Sure. Um, I guess to start with, I was going to just mention quickly about, um, you know, the challenges that, like I said earlier, there's a lot of similarities between Australia and America. There's a lot of herbicide resistance. Um, in our part of the world, it's going to be more similar to Australia with it being the dry environment, um, hot in the summer, um, those, those, those kind of challenges that make weed control part of the, the same in both places. We, we don't have Palmer, which is a big deal, which is very nice for Australians um, or Russian thistle. But, but there's some other weeds that, that can really give us some grief. So. So what, what would you say, Joel, would be your number one toughest weed to control or your number one concern in most crops? Yeah, that, that, that's a tough question. It, it's it's going to vary some where you're from, like, you, you know, geography mm -hmm. and um, temperatures, those kind of things. Um, where I was from, it's fleabane is, is a big one. That's a, that's a woody weed kind of thing. Okay. Um, it's, it's probably going to... It's not at all kosher, but I would compare right. it to that, and it's just somewhat similarities in toughness uh -huh. to kill. Grasses are going to give you a bit more grief, like Feathertop Roads grass is a very big one, again, in my northern area, um, and uh -huh. barnyard grass, which I think we see a bit of that here. Um, we do, yep. And I don't know, Ethan, if that is, is barnyard grass a bigger deal in the south as you go south, or...? have a fair amount of, of barnyard grass throughout our territory. So that is a given. We have a lot of woody, woody weeds that probably are similar to what you dealt with as well. More like brush type weeds. Sure. Um, but then as you go south, it's, it's, it's going to go into broom grass and rye grass is a really big one, but I have no real experience with it because that's, that's more the southern cropping areas and um, that's a very, very big one. I think it's probably considered the biggest maybe, but um, yeah, it, it depends on your location, but they're the, they're the big ones yeah, I would yeah. say. So. No, that, I was just curious, you know, cause like you said, in Southwest Kansas, we're predominantly worried about Palmer and then, yeah. then Russian thistle followed by Kosha probably is what mm -hmm. I would say. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, Palmer's definitely starting to take the lead. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So, but I think the but unique yeah, thing... So, oh, go ahead. Sorry, Kevin. Go ahead. No, no, go go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, you know, I, what I was going to mention was the um, different strategies they've used over there. Um, mm -hmm. Beyond chemical, I guess, which is kind of cool. Um, you know, the one which is starting to come into the US um, would be the spot spraying technology to detecting near infrared on plants for fallow weed control. Uh, that's been around for quite a long time over there. It's had a lot of success, a lot of popularity, cutting down on your, your cost, but also letting you run more robust rates. That's, that's been a really big one. And it is, it is available here and you know, it'll be interesting what, what Blue River and John Deere do with that uh, now, you know, with, with, that, with them going in that direction. So, but that, What percentage of farms utilize that technology, would you say, if you had to just grab 
a number from oh, here. Oh, geez, I, sh I, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure you could find out. Um, yeah, it, I'm just curious if you thought uh, like yeah. a lot. I wouldn't say it's huge still. It's still, you know, it's one, it's, it's a thing that grown and grown every year. Um, mm -hmm. And particularly in certain regions, particularly with the bigger guys. I mean, if, if, if they've got a scale, if they've got some decent acreage, then there's a very high likelihood that it's going to be there. But if you get into cropping areas where it's smaller farms, it's going to drop off quite a bit. So, mm -hmm. you know. Hey, Joe, I want to, I want to stop you for a minute. Um, so just for our knowledge, you know, our calibration here, what is a big farm in Australia? How does that compare to a big farm here, both from an operation standpoint and a field size, like individual field size? What are some of the, the differences, you know, in, in Northwest Can or Southwest Kansas, you know, everything's based off the section and quadrants. Yeah. And yeah. So, uh, yeah. That's a really good point. The sections, the sections and quarters thing that does not exist. And so that means that usually the farm all touches and you, you have one geographic location of thousands of acres. Um, you know, once again, depending on, depending on the area, the rainfall, those kind of things, um, which also helps with weeds. I should throw that in because you don't have your neighbor from the next quarter blowing into your winter. But, um, right. On, right. On, That'd on, be huge. It is. It's a very big deal. On, on scale, um, you know, there's what would you call bigger than, what would you call big? Maybe 40,000 plus acres. There's a, there's a lot of guys that, that exceed that quite substantially. Um, there's one, one, one guy that was over 200,000 acres. Um, wow. wow. So, it, you know, it... <laughs> There's a pretty broad it's range. Doing, it, it, it's, yeah. it's, it's getting bigger all the time. You know, in, in 20 years ago, I'm sure it wasn't considered that high, but a lot of these were properties that never grew crops that they took out the pasture and they started planting crops and they just had tens of thousands of acres to plant. So um, they were able How much to do it very affordably. So. Is irrigated versus dry land, Joel? Most of it is dry land um okay we don't have the aquifer we don't have the okay um we, you know it's a lot of it's surface water if it's irrigated so okay. we don't okay yeah the the big ones the big ones are the are the dry land there's some very big irrigators as well um, okay but. so um i could totally see where you know, spot spraying with that the technology you spoke of and when you're buying chemical for 40,000 acres that adds up quickly much more quickly than you know doing a broadcast you know like a PPO or something like that you know that you really don't need it on every inch of a field why not spot spray it you know, yeah it makes total sense yeah why, why that technology was developed a long time ago in Australia and why it was so popular I, I definitely can see that yeah the payback is very is very affordable on those kind of acres so do most of the sprayers that would do this would they have multiple tanks you know so they could spray a couple of different herbicides or is it just one mix some do but but usually it would just be one um okay. there are there are some again um if it's a more in my area they would be more inclined to do that um okay 
but in other areas, not so much. That, that's very variable. So, but that yeah, option yeah. is there. No, that option agree. is there for sure gotcha. to, to let you do gotcha. two, two things. So, yeah. So on, on those kind of acres, what is, how does tillage factor in with not just weed control, but in the, the general farm practice, is it a, you know, a full till type situation, no till or somewhere in between or how's that? Yeah, probably somewhere in between. Um, very little full tillage, you know, next, next to non-existent. Um, a lot of no till. Um, but also, you know, with, with what we're talking about, there is, there is some minimum till practices kind of coming in similar to what we're seeing mm-hmm. here. So mm-hmm. what about match tillage? I know that's one of our, uh, you know, our special project manager. He loves match till. So is match till a popular thing in Australia? Let's say that again. What, what, what did you call it? Uh, it's, it's called match, match, match till. Match. <laughs> Lighting things on fire. Oh, burning it. <laughs> it's a bit of a joke for John. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. So, but there are prescribed burns, you know. Now, right in, in South Texas, prescribed burns are huge. You know, it's kind of a, the Edwards Plateau is where prescribed burns really got a foothold in the state of Texas. So, I mean, so we see it all the time. Um, is is uh, prescribed burns, is that something that's incorporated for weed control? Yeah, that's practice? actually a really good point. Um, and I was going to mention something similar to that. What, what people are doing um, is when they're, when they're harvesting, the, they separate the chaff and the straw and the chaff they're dropping in tracks right behind the combine in a very, no, uh, very narrow strip. Um, They've also done, you know, they call it windrow burning. So they would they would burn a narrow strip. They or or they might drop all the straw as well, which takes a lot of organic matter off your field and stuff. But they they can do that too. Um, so instead of burning the whole field, they're just going to burn the strip where the most of the harvested weeds went. As a whole field basis, I'd, I'd say it's not at all very common because we fight the same issues we fight in Western Kansas, like erosion and. Mm-hmm wind erosion yeah. and just dryness but but burning has a place but it, it's been more focused on narrow little strips so that, that's really interesting you know what the reason why it sparked in my mind to ask you this is um you know we have a lot of woody type weeds and a lot of those are very tough to control if you, and the, the best way to control them is burn your field when you're done yeah and, yeah because chemicals just sometimes are you know, just not going to do much for you in that aspect. So, but the fact that you're only burning the chaff in the windrow uh, is interesting because you're really not going to get that real benefit from a broad spectrum. But I see you're kind of, it's almost like a, a you know, a minimal till version of minimal burning. You know, it's you're yeah. not burning all your residue, but you're burning that harvested seed, a uh, weed seed. Um, so that's very interesting. I've it's, never yeah, heard that's that right. Before. It's it's only obviously controlling it if the seed has been able to go into the combine and process through it. You know, so if it's shattered at the combine or whatever, you you're not getting the benefit. So, so it depends on your weeds and and that kind of thing. But if if you've got weeds that are harvested going through and would be spread out the back, you've narrowed you've narrowed it down, and yeah, you've you've burnt a minimum minimum burn area. So yeah, well and. Logically, you'd be getting most of the weed pressure. You will anyway. You know that's correct. Yeah. But yeah. but what they're finding 
I'd, I'd say the push now in those areas is to drop the chaff just in a narrow strip and drop it in the same strip every year. And then the, the heat and the density of the chaff stops them germinating anyway in that strip. Um, or right, if they right. do, then they have a really narrow area to control and they might use a spot sprayer or something to control them in that strip. Um, and also, just for our calibration here, what kind of row spacing are you planting your small grains in? Just, you know, I know, I think if I remember right, I have read something that small grains are planted at a bit of a wider spacing than what we're used to, but um, they are. can you give us kind of a rundown of that? Yeah, they are. Because so much of it is low rainfall, there is a push to wider spacing. You know, I've seen 20 inch. Um, that's not common, but in, in really marginal areas, they, they do that. 12, 12 and a half is, is quite common inches. Um, when you start getting into the narrower, the 10, seven and a half, it's, it's really going to be in the higher rainfall areas. Um, or areas that may be fighting real serious weed pressure or something. But particularly where I was from, there was a lot of 12. So what would be your 15? Um, so. Typically your, your, or excuse me, your typical uh, crop rotation, Joel. Um, I know that's a tough question. <laughs> that is a very uh, tough question to generalize but because yeah, I mean, so obviously you grow you guys grow wheat and cotton. Yeah. Um, yeah. Corn? It, it, much corn? No, not much corn. If we not outside of irrigation or the higher rainfall okay. areas. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the cotton, the milo, and the corn is mostly concentrated on the east side and in I don't know the upper two thirds of the country. Um, mm-hmm. a, a big one in a big one in my part of the world was chickpeas. Okay. They're, very good money spinner, a legume. You know, they, they played into the rotation a lot. Yeah. Um, you yeah. see mung beans as a double crop option because they're very quick to grow. Again, okay. again, more when you get into my area where it's hotter. Um, yeah. Soybeans, not very common at all outside of irrigation. Um, Faba beans. Um, and then when you get into the south and the west where it's all pretty well just what we would call a winter crop. So it's, you know, growing in the cool season months, your wheat, your barley, lupins, um, field peas, those kind of things. But Okay. Okay. So, so it varies quite a bit, but there is quite a lot of, you see a lot more mix of crop than what you would see here in any, especially oh, in our sure, part of the world, sure. I guess. I don't, I don't, I can't, yeah. I don't know what Ethan sees, but um, yeah. No, I mean, that just gives us we have a better idea a very of what you guys are doing. Of... Oh, sorry, go ahead, guys. No, you're fine. Go for it. Canola is the other big one I forgot. I should have mentioned that. But, you know, quite a bit okay. of canola. Okay. So. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead, Ethan. Oh, as I was just saying, uh, we have a, a pretty unique mix of, of, uh, of crops. Just the way we fall uh, from our latitude allows us a lot of... Uh, Flexibility, you know, we measure uh, our freezes annually in hours. You know, how many hours of a freeze yeah. are we going to have collectively? So that's probably similar to your latitude, yes. I would assume. What, what is your latitude, do you know? Oh, goodness. I should know that, but I don't. Okay. 
Yeah, I, I would assume it's fairly similar to what you experience. And how, how, distance from the coast may be similar to you. I, I don't know on that, but yeah. So, for, you know, going back to uh, just the, you know, we kind of, we started on uh, on weeds and then we just progressively talked a little bit about a, a lot of things of, uh, of, of Australia agriculture. Um, you know, getting back to weeds, is there any other practices you find that, um, unique to Australia that, that would possibly help uh, growers in, in these states? Or uh, Yeah, uh, the... Another one that needs testing, I think it would be cool to test, is the seed destruction in the back of the combine. And you, you guys may have heard of this before, where a unit is mounted to the rear of a combine and, and grinds up and just basically destroys the chaff enough that any seeds that again went through the machine get made no longer viable. Um, I've heard of some testing done in Canada I, I haven't heard of anything in the US and, and again, it, it needs to be a weed that can go through a machine that I, I think that's right, pretty cool. Right. Um, another one that's really new that actually an American told me about this one and asked me if I heard of it and I never had, but it's, it's unique and weird and cool, was, was actually using microwave energy to kill weeds. And, and that's not commercial, they're testing it. Um, but they mm -hmm. basically direct microwave energy onto the ground, onto the weeds, kills the weed and kills the seeds in the top few inches of the soil. And it does, obviously you think about, you think, wow, you're nuking the field. It, it, it does um, kill the soil bacteria in the top layers, but, but actually the research says that um, within a few, within a month, it's actually back higher than it was before. And they're seeing a yield benefit just from microwaving the soil. So that's random and interesting to see where that goes, <laughs> but it's right. pretty cool. So, so yeah, that's, well, yeah, I can I, only imagine the, the, you know, the, the blowback that you're going to get from the non GMO folks that, you know, what they're, what are they going to say <laughs> what you're sterilizing weed seeds from the plastic yeah. microwaves? Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, there's, you know, no there's chemicals, one that I heard you know, in college. So. What, what's that? Well, you know, you no chemicals. Um, yeah, it's, it's organic. It's interesting. You know, it's it's a, yeah, how is it not? <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah, there, there's one that I heard in college. I don't remember that this is going to sound, this is kind of a weird thing, but this, I don't remember if it was out of India or Australia. And, you know, the particular professor that did work with this, he did work in India and Australia on some uh, sabbaticals. So that's why I don't remember which one it was one of his, which okay. one of, uh, uh, but anyway. So you're talking about seed destruction. They had an implement that they put behind the combine that was a roller, kind of, like, you know, it was kind of like a hill. And it would, you know, roll the, and crush the, the chaff and weed seed behind it and, you know, and sterilize, they're crushed, you know, they weren't viable yes. at that point. Is yes. that in Australia? Yes, that I think we're talking about the same thing, just in an older version of it. You know, they they've been playing with it for a long time. I think it's been like twenty years they've been researching it. So, um, I, I just, you're not talking about an actual road roller type of thing. You're talking about a machine that rolls and crushes 
inside the machine. Exactly. Is that, yeah. It's yes. almost like a roller yes. mill. That yes. Is, yes. 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 Yeah. You are talking yes. about it. Yes. It, that that's that system is now modified so it can be fitted commercially to the back of a combine. It's you know they've they've changed it and refined it to the point that it's no longer a towed machine. It's it's fixed to the combine and, and yeah that's what it does. So mm. it, it's commercially yeah. available. So yeah, this that you know between uh, you know like your spot uh, your spot treatment and. Uh, seat destruction, yeah, those are two aspects that you don't ever see in the store. Well, I guess you can't say ever. They're starting to see the spot treatment um, a lot more, but you know, that's two avenues that you know, it's like a lot of upfront costs to get set up to do that, but that's just it. You're not annually, you know, as dependent on chemicals as mm-hmm. uh, we've traditionally been. So, not yeah. only are you kind of satisfying the end user because you're using less chemical um once that machine is paid off you I mean you're talking upkeep and and uh I'll reduce spending you know so I yeah it's all back in your pocket so exactly yeah and and you know then you, you top on that limited rainfall um any anytime you can get away from a herbicide and limited rainfall situation just because of efficacy um you know that's very beneficial in my exactly mind. Those are, exactly yeah yeah that's uh, we have something to learn you know you always got to take uh whether it's uh something you learned in another crop or something you learn from a, a farmer next door or in another hemisphere you know that's that's huge that's really cool yeah it is so, and well, so do you have any other, any questions or things for for joel that i'm i'm kind of no? running low on my my uh my thought process here so I'm gonna leave no. <laughs> do you do you have any anything else you'd like to to talk about joel or uh does that cover what you were thinking no, I, I think that's yeah i think that's covered well and ethan ethan summed it yeah, up well I, there's always things to learn and improve upon and it's cool to yeah keep your eyes open so but it's interesting perspective because you know you never never know how other people do it sometimes you get caught inside your box and you don't get a chance to think or see or visit or talk to others especially like ethan was saying outside in another hemisphere to see you know you know how they're doing things and how it could change the way we're doing things especially as weed resistance is not going away so um it's something that all farmers will always have to deal with because mother nature always seems to have the last laugh Mm-hmm. What, what what do they say in Jurassic Park? Life always finds a way. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So, you know, those, sure. those weeds are a lot like uh, you know dinosaurs. They were here before us, and they'll be here after us. And they're gonna find a way for us not to kill them. So. Yeah. But you know, and that's you know going back to listening and, and looking up people. That they're but, unique to you. They're really not unique to you, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah. There, there's somebody has found a way to fix it already, you know. Right. Yeah. Well, well Joel, I know you're a busy man. I'm going to be respectful of your time, so we uh, we appreciate it, you know. And uh, yeah, this was this is very stimulating and interesting, and I hope somebody on the you know the download of this podcast learned something and. Uh, 
Colt, why don't you give the people uh, our contact information where they can find us and seek us out socially and have questions? So go ahead, Colt. Uh, yeah, we're at CropQuest Inc. Um, also, you can email us at media at cropquest.com. With that, guys, uh, I appreciate your time, and we will see you listeners later. Thanks, thanks for having me on. Thank you for talking, Joel.